From the studios of WHUP-LP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. Broadcasting live from Hillsborough, North Carolina, the center of the known world. We have a terrific show for you today. A lot is going on in jiu-jitsu, both locally, nationally, and internationally. We're excited to talk to you about it. Well, first, got to let you know how to get a hold of us. You can always check us out online at DirtyWhiteBelt.com or on our Facebook page, which is Cageside Radio. We're active on Instagram at Dirty White Belt and also on Twitter at DWB Radio. You can always email the show at CagesideWHUP at gmail.com. If you want to give us ideas about what interviews you want to hear... And believe me, we have some exciting stuff coming up that you're not going to want to miss out on. So today's show is mostly going to be a competition-based show. Uh, U.S. Grappling Maryland happened yesterday, as did the IBJJF Atlanta Open. A lot of folks competed in both spots. We're going to give you a preview of some of the upcoming tournaments, review a, a few of the outcomes that happened, and in a few minutes, uh, local black belt regular show guest and first time ever IBJJF competitor CJ Murdoch is going to call in to recount his experience winning gold at the Black Belt Masters 1 level in the IBJJF Atlanta Open. It's his first IBJJF tournament. I'm really excited for CJ to catch up with him, figure out what he's been up to, and to generally speaking celebrate his uh, tremendous achievement. Another thing that I want to preview before we get into what happened this past weekend, uh, EBI is coming up. Now, a lot of you who are listening to this are going to know what that is, but for those who don't, it's the Eddie Bravo Invitational. And EBI is a top-tier submission tournament that has an interesting rule set that um, streams live on UFC Fight Pass. So if you can watch, if you have UFC Fight Pass, you can watch it. And we're really excited that Junio Casio, who is our sponsored fighter and a regular guest, is has been invited to compete in EBI 17, the featherweights. That's on February 17th. You can watch it live on UFC Fight Pass. We're of course going to keep you apprised of that um, as that gets closer. Even better, uh, DDO, uh, Junie is going to be repping DWB with a custom rash guard that I designed, and the good folks at Toro BJJ were kind enough to produce for us. So we're very excited to watch Junie compete. If you watched him compete either at Kasai, uh, I'm going to specifically talk about Kasai, or any of the tournaments that he's done before that, you know that he can compete with the best in the world. Uh, at Kasai, he went toe-to-toe with such luminaries as Celso Vinicius, one of the best lightweights ever, uh, with Gianni Grippo, who's one of the best guys going today. And uh, he's going to get a chance to show his, show his stuff. Uh, in a longer uh, time frame match and in a different rule set. And so that's February 17th, so do be sure to check that out. Additionally, um, in terms of tournaments that happened, U.S. Grappling went up to Maryland. Uh, I noticed that a ton of folks uh, attended that. The guys from Cage Side road tripped up. Um, the next time you can compete at U.S. Grappling is going to be March 3rd, and that's probably going to be my first tournament at Brown Belt. And so if anybody wants to come and uh, and and uh, you know beat me up for something I've said on the show, uh, you'll have the opportunity just to enter, enter the Brown Belt division, either uh, gi or no gi. I think I'm going to be doing both. So we're always happy to talk about U.S. Grappling. Uh, another thing that happened this weekend, you know, as I mentioned, is the IBJJF 
uh, Atlanta Open. Now, a lot of times when the IB, this is about as close as the IBJJF comes before the Charlotte Open started, and so a ton of folks show out and go to that. And as I mentioned, C.J. Murdoch is going to call in talk about his performance. But before he does, I want to lift up a few of the other performances that I noticed. For one thing, we had a lot of gold medalists come from the area, um, both you know in the adult division and the master's division. Uh, Evan Arredondo and Daniel Branch, two show guests, both performed extremely well. They each got gold in their respective divisions and closed out the finals in the absolute. Um, so that was exciting to see happen. I know that they both faced really stiff competition in those purple belt divisions. And so it was great to see Evan and Daniel doing so well. Uh, DeAndre Corbe, who continues his tear at Brown Belt, got a silver medal at the IBJJF Atlanta Open. Uh, DeAndre these days only loses to the most elite world-class competition, and uh, I can't, I, you know, I'm super excited to see uh, where he goes in the future. Um, so the IBJJF Atlanta Open this past weekend, um, we if you. If you have any pictures from that tournament, I know that uh, Cam Photo and Design was at U.S. Grappling, but if you have any photos from that tournament or if we missed any results that you want to be sure that we check out, um, please do send them to us. So while we wait for C.J. Murdoch to call in, um, there's a couple of other things coming up that I, that I want to hit you to. There's always uh, you know a ton of stuff going on these days. Um, w- one of my longstanding goals is to get the calendar on, U- on, uh, on DirtyWhiteBelt.com updated to include all of the uh, events in the area. I know that some of the times for open mats uh, need to be changed. One thing I want to mention is that, y- y- did you know that you can go to DirtyWhiteBelt.com and click on our calendar and submit your own calendar events? So you can actually, if you have a seminar coming to your gym, or if you want to make sure people show up for your open mat, or if you have you know, a particular class that you want to make sure people know about or a tournament that, that we've missed, um, then please feel free to just go to that website and submit it. It has to be reviewed before we post it, but we always want to know about the things going on, and there's more going on now than ever. In addition to U.S. Grappling and IBJJF, which are the primary tournaments people compete at, I know that Grappling Industries is now coming uh, to North Carolina and South Carolina. I know that there's a bunch of sort of the good fight is here. There's a bunch of other upstart tournaments, and I definitely don't want to miss anything. And so part of the goal was for it to be a sort of community-supported calendar. And I'm not sure uh, where we're going to go with that, but I do know that... uh, you know, that if you want, I can guarantee if you if you have an event that you want us to promote, the calendar at DirtyWhiteBelt.com is a great way to do it. You can also message us on Facebook, and, we're gonna, and we'll be doing Facebook events to support that. So finally, before CJ calls, I want to make sure that I mention this. Uh, Miha Perhavitz uh, also won brown belt gold at the... Uh, in the adult division at you at the Atlanta Open. Now I'm talking about Miha for a bunch of reasons. First of all, um, he's a really rising star on the international grappling scene, uh, both gi and no gi. He's really well known for his leg locks. If you are in the Triangle area, you're going to have the opportunity to train with Miha this week. He's he's coming out to stay with me for a week. We're going to record a podcast, so look forward. He, he has a really interesting story too, and uh, I want to make sure to get him on the show. We had him on the show on the Yoga Show, along with Sebastian Broch. If you want to go check out that show, but that was sort of a, a shorter interview in a themed show just about yoga. And so I'm really interested to talk to Miha about his own grappling journey, about where he's going, and, uh, and you know, and about, I'm, I'm really frankly anxious to pick his brain for some of the secrets uh, to leg locks and uh, generally being a grappling boss in the no-gi scenario. So we're going to be training. Uh, I mean, Miha's going to be coming around to open mats in, in the area, and I'm going to come around to train with him. But if you really want to learn the good stuff, 
then come out to Toro BJJ World Headquarters on February 10th. Uh, that's 124 Lotta Road. It's the Cage Side Warehouse. It's also where Triangle Jiu-Jitsu Academy trains. And we're going to be hosting a seminar. That's right. Dirty White Belt Radio sponsoring another seminar. Um, for just 40 bucks. you can learn Miha's leg lock secrets. Now, um, I could go on about how impressive some of his leg lock performances have been. But let me give you a couple of the things. You know, he's, he's won two Polaris cards twice with, le- with, with leg locks. Um, he's, his last eight finishes, I think, were by all by heel hook or knee bar, except for one bow and arrow choke at the Atlanta Open. And so he's got a really good, um, he's got a really solid knowledge about both entering into leg positions and finishing. So come on out. That's February 10th, 1 p.m. at the uh, Cage Side MMA Warehouse, 124 Lotta Road in lovely Durham, North Carolina. U.S. Grappling Raleigh is coming up on March 3rd. It's the best tournament in the area run by the best grappling organization around. Come out, see all your friends, meet some new friends, grapple some people, win some medals. It'll be a great time. Tell them we sent you. You can register online at usgrappling.com. We have new gold medalist, IBJJF Open Masters 1 Black Belt Champion C.J. Murdoch on the phone. C.J., you around. What's up, Jeff? Man, it is really good to hear from you. Uh, we haven't had you on the show in a while, and we always enjoy having you on the show. So first, I want to say congratulations on your gold medal yesterday. Hey, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of uh, a lot of people helped me get that gold medal, so it's not just mine. Mm. And I definitely want to talk to you. We'll definitely, in the course of this interview, talk about who helped you get there, about your training partners, about your coaching, about your situation now. But first of all, I want to clarify, this was your first IBJJF tournament. Is that right? It was, yes. After almost five long years at Black Belt, I finally got to do the IBJJF. I finally feel like a real Black Belt. (laughs) Well, we we feel like you were a real Black Belt before that, and I'm sure most of the people that have grappled against you would attest to the fact that you were a real Black Belt before that. But but before we get into the matches themselves, why did it it take so long for you to get out on the IBJJF stage? Well, my first instructor was with Luis Polaris, and uh, my first instructor had a, a little bit of a falling out with Louise. So uh, out of respect for him, I didn't pursue getting my IBJJF paperwork signed by Louise. And then when I moved to Jeremy to go to Brazil, Jeremy's to go to Brazil um, we didn't get me IBJJF registered before I went to Brazil because um, he was in uh, second degree at the time. And uh, essentially, we just waited for Jeremy to get his second degree. And uh, they changed the rule the year he got a second degree that second degrees no longer could sign the paperwork. Third degrees had to sign the paperwork. So, yeah, it was a big pain in the booty. Well, what an incredible convoluted uh, series of events that led you to finally be able to compete. But we're really, you know, it, it's you know, it's funny how much bureaucracy and paperwork there is in jujitsu for a combat sport. But, but we're, yeah, and I'm really lazy, so I don't like to fill out any of the paperwork. So you, know, I have to get like an extra push. <laughs> You and me both, my friend. You and me both. Uh, paperwork is the worst. We came in. We came to train. We came to grapple. Why? Why are we filling out paperwork? Yeah, exactly. I didn't. Yeah. What am I doing? Doing paperwork. I I do jujitsu for full time. I don't even have like an actual regular job. So yeah, no need for paperwork here. Well, speaking of doing jujitsu full time, let's talk. Let, talk me through your matches. How many matches did you have? Um, what was your path to the um, finals, and what were the matches like? 
So I, I had two matches in my weight class, um, Master 1 Featherweight, uh, which is crazy because I made Featherweight with a pound and a half to spare. So I made Featherweight super easy, and as everybody knows, I can tend to be a little fat boy, and uh, I've been like walking around 160. Um, I think two years ago, I got as big as like 170 pounds, so I could have a match against Sean Spangler at US Grappling. So like, I've been pretty like BJ Penn with my weight. So for me to make 145 so easily, that was like the first fight. But I did it like I did, I, or 149, I guess, is what I need to be without a Gion. But to make that relatively so easily was the first fight. And that was really nice. But uh, my first match was against a guy from uh, Caitlin's dad's school, uh, Desmond Reed. He's a really good guy, um, super tough. And then my second match was with guy uh, from my friend Gilson Nunes' school. Yeah, Gilson's in the area now, and that's uh, that's pretty exciting to have another high level black yeah. belt to train with and compete with. I want to I want to say that he trains with Gilson, but I like uh, at the Gulf Breeze Academy in Florida. And man, if you've ever seen Gilson grapple or had the lucky like pleasure to grapple with him, man, he is like top in the world. Like there's not too many people comparable to him in the grappling scene, like, uh, Gilson's on a completely different level. Like, he might get gamed every once in a while, but, man, he's just as good as at jiu-jitsu as the people he's le- losing to. Like, he lost to Cabrino, I think, last year, and I think he lost to Gianni Grippo uh, at the Open, like, maybe by a couple of advantages. But Gilson's on a different level. Mm-hmm. So, it was really, really, really good to... Uh, be able to beat somebody that I know has a training partner like Gilson. So that was really cool. And then I stuck around to about 8.20 to do the Absolute. So that was rough. Yeah, I know. Those Absolute divisions start late. So, like, before we get yeah, into your... My, go ahead. I was about to say my... Yeah, my first opponent no-showed, so I had to sit around for, like, ever. We were the last... I think the last match. Like, the Master 1 uh, Black Belt Absolute was the last uh, match. The finals, I think, was the last match of last night. That's brutal. And how how'd your absolute matches go? Um, like I said, the first match no showed, and I had a really tough, tough match in the, I believe, what was the semifinals. So uh, I got to stand next to a guy that earned his gold, or earned his third place medal. Um, my friend T uh, from uh, Paul Creighton School, he won a match and then uh, lost the second match. So I got to stand next to him on the third place podium. But it's always weird standing next to somebody that, like, actually, like, I feel like earned it. But, like, you can say I earned it because I stayed there for so late. And the other guy just no-showed. So I can't really do anything about that. But it would have been nice to have maybe four matches instead of just three. But, hey, man, I, got, I had a really tough match in the absolute. That guy was really, really, really good. That's from Nova Inyao, uh Florida, I believe. But I cannot remember his name. But he inevitably won the whole division. So, he was a really, really tough guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what you, you mentioned something that I think is important. This is another reason why people should show up for their matches. Because, like, personally, you know, I, it's one that I always tell myself, you can only control what you can control, right? I can control myself making weight. I can control myself showing up. I can't control what the other guy does. But it feels better to 
to earn a victory than it does to have the dude no show, and it definitely takes some of the 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 shine off of it when uh, when when you you earn, you get your way to the podium without having to sweat, at least in that match. Yeah. I mean, uh, they were doing. I, maybe he signed up and, and he did. He no showed. But man, to be completely honest, they were calling my brother for the absolute. And if you guys know, um, my brother got a concussion, so he wasn't even there for his weight class. And he tried to tell the IBJJF that he wasn't coming, and they were just like, "Well, we're still gonna, we're still gonna uh, charge you." So I assume that they just ran him in, but he somehow got signed up for the absolute. And they were calling and calling and calling, and they were like really rude to me when I when when I like mentioned that he wasn't there. The late that girl that I talked to was like, "Well, he signed up for the absolute." Well, he signed up for the absolute, and I was like, "Well, I think that was a mistake. Like, I don't know how somebody signed his name because you physically have to like walk up there and sign up." So, I'm not sure. We'll 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 just we'll just say that that guy had the same problem that my brother got, and that I got a lucky third place medal. <laughs> well, talk me through. A little, I, I want to get I want to get an update on Josh's concussion too, because I know that you know Josh is a super tough dude, and. Uh, and and I'm really happy that he made that decision. Actually, let's talk about Josh's concussion now because like I'm, re- I'm really happy he made that decision. Like Josh is a super tough guy, super game competitor, trains all the time. But I think it's like you know, particularly with brain stuff, you got to be super careful with that. And uh, man, absolutely. And as for you guys, everybody knows my brother. Uh, we didn't have the most successful MMA start, most uh, successful MMA career, uh, amateur to start off with. We could say that, but uh, a lot of it stems from Josh getting knocked out in practice, like earlier before that first fight, and then the second fight happened. So, like, we were just like so wanting to be super careful for this one, because like he got technically three con- concussions in one year, right? And then he he was he was relatively good the whole time. Like my brother's really really tough, like you guys obviously know, but. Like, he trained for two days on the concussion without actually knowing that he had a concussion. He woke up, like, thinking he was really dehydrated because we trained super hard the night before. So he got a concussion, let's say, Monday, I think, which is crazy because Lourdes was videotaping that day. So Lourdes actually has the video of Josh getting a concussion. So maybe I can convince him to release it because it's pretty gnarly. It's not. It's 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 a not safe for work video. He hits his head pretty hard and then continues to grapple like uh, nothing happened whatsoever. It's really strange. My brother's like super tough. For sure. But yeah, we just wanted to be. We just wanted to be super careful because brain injuries can be something that literally could like be detrimental for the rest of your life. And I mean, as important as jujitsu is to our life, it would be a lot less important if josh hurt his brain yeah and like you know anybody that can come back from a fully broken back and be grappling at the level that he is is not you know he's not not a tough guy uh but i think it's particularly like and this is what i think makes concussions dangerous honestly is like we've all pushed through injuries that we probably shouldn't have you know but like there's a difference between like uh, an elbow or a finger or or whatever and your brain and you can tell yourself oh you know i just got my bell rung but it's like that's the kind of stuff that can have really lasting repercussions. And, you know, somebody like Josh, as young as he is, is going to have a really long and, and fruitful grappling career. And so certainly no reason for him to 
to put the brain on the line uh, for for a local IBJJF tournament. Um, yeah, man. Like like I told him, he was uh, the lightweight division was like crazy stacked at Atlanta. So Josh went up to middleweight just for uh, maybe like uh, a chance because there was maybe ten or twelve uh, people in the lightweight bracket, and man, there like the it was like Johnny Grippo, Johnny Tama, um, Gilson, and then a few other really, really, really good guys. And the middleweight was like just as stacked, just with a, a few less people. And uh, he was doing it with one of our teammates anyways, so it would have put uh, us a little bit better off for maybe the overall team points because that was the goal. The goal was to get uh, Roberto Travis uh, the number one spot. We took second, unfortunately, but we tried really hard. I'm, I'm actually, I, I think I got uh, points for first and points for third. For So, I mean, if I had to take a third place, for not winning any matches, at least I got some points for the team. But that was the ultimate goal. So we are trying to play the IBJJF game a little bit. But, man, I told him, like, man, if this was, like, featherweight for the world, it would be a different story. But, man, you are competing at middleweight, which is not your weight class, and it is Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you mentioned the team points, which is uh, it's always tough to beat Alliance and in Alliance headquarters territory. But uh, you are training, yeah, especially when Jacare is there, because if Jacare is there, you know he brought a bunch of people. Yeah, so I mean, Travis will be Travis will be there if there's like ten people. So, but you know, if Jacare is there, you know they're going to bring a lot of people. They have like something like four hundred points, so you know they brought a crazy amount of people. The next Eddie Bravo Invitational is February 17th. EBI, the Featherweights, features our own sponsored fighter, Juni Ocasio. You've heard Juni on the show and seen him do it his thing at tournaments like Kasai. Now watch him do it on the big stage. And in exciting news, he'll be doing it in a dirty white belt rash guard produced by your friends at Toro BJJ. Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company is a family-owned, locally-owned, mutually supportive company that you can feel good about going to for your fight needs. You can check out all their gear at torobjj.com or online at cageside.com as well be sure to support the folks who support us and do check out ebi on february 17th and you know as you mentioned you're training at top martial arts under roberto travin now i want to talk to you a little bit about your experience there but first let's put a cap on the ibjjf uh tournament uh for a second and just i just want to ask you what is what does it mean to you to have an IBJJF gold medal now? Is that uh, does that satisfy a long-standing goal, or is it just another day at the office? Or how, how do you how did you feel after getting the gold? Man, it was really surreal because like it was the first time that I was able to step on the IBJJF mat. So it was like it was like I said, it was really surreal. So to actually win, like to not take second, was really cool because uh, usually I have a reputation of doing really good in my first match and then not so good in my second match but i felt like i did good like i felt like i was getting better throughout the tournament which was really really nice which is another reason why i was so mad that my opponent no showed the first time or for the absolute because i like it wasn't so much that i like i wanted to get a gold medal like i wanted to win but like i just really wanted to have some tough matches and know that i could hang in there with some tough guys and since they changed it so that you need points for Worlds, like my focus isn't going to be adult this year. My focus is just to do Master 1. 
so that I can like get through like the the like kind of play the game uh, a little bit more uh, at the master division, like learn how to play the game a little bit more, and then uh, make my debut for adult maybe next year. Mm. So the goal is obviously to win a world championship, but the goal, the real goal is to win that adult world championship. But, I mean, I think Cabrini won it at, like, I don't want to say that he's older than he is, but we all know that he's older than adult. Yeah, he's 37. So, I think he's 37. I think he turns 38 this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I was going to say 34. Just keep it young. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's 37 or 38. Man, he's, like, we were at the seminar. He was running. Like, man, he he's not... He doesn't look like he's thirty seven. No, that dude. Like thirty seven. That dude looks way younger than he is for sure. Yeah, it's, so. it's, that, it's that capoeira lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it's true that when you start to get to, you just stay that age. So, like, maybe I'll be lucky. I'll stay fifteen my whole life, and uh, Cabrillo will just stay how old he is. Because he started to get to kind of late. So, man, he's like one of my inspirations. I, anytime anybody's like. Well, you're too old, or this. I'm like, man, Cabrini did it. Cabrini did it. He started late. He was a baker. He did pastries, and now he strangles people like everybody at the featherweight level. Yeah. And he didn't quit. Like most of, like, the, I I love this argument. Who's better, Rafa Mendez or Cabrini? And I mean, you could argue that Rafa Mendez has more titles, but man, Cabrini's still doing it. Cabrini's still competing, and he's older than Hoffman is. So, man, if you ever think that you can't do anything, just look at Cabrini, because he's amazing. I couldn't possibly agree more. And, you know, when we did the interview with Cobrinha for the show, he, Cobrinha said, and I think he means this, if Cobrinha can do it, anybody can do it. And, you know, yeah, I, for I sure, man. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, man, you mentioned, like, the fact that he's still doing it. You know, I think I, from, from my perspective, I still do think it's hard to argue against Hodger as best ever. But you could make a really interesting argument for Cobrinha being the best ever just in terms of sustained excellence. And, yeah, you know, Hoffa had a, a higher peak, you know, where it's like, oh, just, but it's, what do you value more, right? Like a really superlative, brilliant four years or like just sustained excellence into, you know, approaching 40? Yeah, to me, it's all about being more like Megaton or more like Cabrinha. You know what I mean? Like, like to use another person other than Cabrinha, like a Megaton, man. That guy competes in the adult division, right? I think he has a master five. That he's, that's his actual uh, masters. Like I think that's his actual age bracket. But man, he still does adult for fun. Like that guy just goes everywhere to compete for fun. Like if I could be like him, or if I could be like Cabrinha, that'd be amazing, man. Because I got to start jiu-jitsu so young. I feel like by the time I'm their age, man, my jiu-jitsu is gonna be so good. Mm-hmm. Like because I'm not gonna quit training. So they'll just keep putting in the time, man. It's it'll it'll happen. Like. I just have to keep putting in this time. I certainly believe that. And uh, interesting side note, like I, I talked to Jake Whitfield one time about uh, about setting goals, and I was like, Jake, I really I want to set a goal to win Black Belt Masters Worlds. And Jake, uh, rather than providing words of encouragement, said, you know Megaton still does jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like it, I, I had the lucky pleasure to uh, train with him uh, when Kalen uh, was – uh, Kalen's parents lived in Arizona for a little bit, and while we were there, we were able to train with a Megaton. Man, he's so nice. 
He's like he's such a down to earth guy, man, and like just his philosophy on jiu-jitsu, like it, it, it's really cool to see like some of these older guys like have philosophy like they're not there to prove they're there to improve. Like that's what one of the things that Cabrini said that I really took away from the seminar, other than all the sweet moves. But that was like one of the most important things that I think he said. And like guys like Megaton just like reassure that when I talk to them. You know what I mean? Like they're not—they're not necessarily—they don't care as much uh, about winning as they do about like improving their quality of their own jiu-jitsu. And I think they're doing both. Like they're winning because they don't care; they want better jiu-jitsu and they strive for better jiu-jitsu. That's when we like stagnant or like our ego gets in the way of our learning. Like, man, I'm really lucky. Like, Top has some of the best purple belts come through from Cesar Costa. And, man, some of these purple belts teach me stuff that I like. Some of this lapel guard or, like, how to play the game a little bit. Because, man, look at the purple belt divisions. How many matches do some of these purple belt kids have to do to become a purple belt world champion? And, like, Jonas Andred, like, that guy, I think, has won everything at purple belt for the last year or two. And I think he was at top for a couple months. Like uh, um, Jonif, uh, he just won as well. He's a 17-year-old kid from Cicero Costa that's uh, training at Rock Hill BJJ as well as uh, Top Martial Arts. And Rock Hill BJJ is just an affiliate of uh, Top Martial Arts that a friend of mine and uh, Master 4, I think, Master 3. Don't uh, get me uh, wrong, but... uh, yeah, he's like a world world champion uh, at that level. Like, um, man, we just have a lot of these, a lot of like really talented purple belts. And like, if I didn't have maybe such an open mindset, maybe they wouldn't help me as much because maybe I didn't. I l- value them less because they're purple belts. But man, like a purple belt world champion, dude, I guarantee <laughs> we'll hang with any black belt any day. Yeah, the purple belts these days are incredible, and those divisions are so stacked. And uh, so, what a cool opportunity to chance to train with some of those guys. You know, that's a great way to think of it too. You know, hours on the mat and always competing uh, to prove or to improve rather than to prove yourself. But you know, let's. Let, this is a good opportunity to segue to talking about top martial arts where you're training now under Roberto Travin. And so, what is? I know you haven't been there for a, for a long period of time, but what has your experience been like there so far? Man, I've I've never really trained at a school that was competitive in IBJJF. So for me to like go from maybe a smaller school to another smaller school to another smaller school where nobody was really competing in the IBJJF too much, to going to a school that's associated with Roberto Travis, who's world champion himself, who still competes, you know what I mean, who's still like training every day, like um, it's it. it one, it's a little bit different than I'm used to, right? Um, but two, man, it's like, it's what I've basically dreamed of. Like, I've always wanted to come in and have people on the mats, like, wanting to be there as much as I do. And that was kind of hard because Josh and I and Kaylin, like, we want to train a lot. And most people don't want to train that much. I mean, most people, I think, uh, think that they want to train really hard right they want to put in the effort and i mean even me like i like i i don't put in the same amount of effort that the meows do i'm working on it give me like a couple more years i'm gonna i'm gonna try to match that 
but like man those guys are like those guys are on a different type of work ethic but like i don't think that some people think that it's that hard and then they want it they want it and then they complain that they're sore and they don't want to train or they're tired and they don't want to train or they're injured and they don't want to train but like unless i can't walk like unless it's like physically like hurting my body to train. I'm going to find a way to train. I just might not play spider guard for that day. I might play half guard or I might get smushed more than usual. And I think sometimes people don't want to get smushed in training. So they tend to not want to train when they're tired or not want to train when they don't feel as well. But to me, it's all the same. Like letting my ego like, guide me rather than hurt me because let's be realistic we all need a little bit of an ego to keep training every day we need a little bit of an ego to want to be the best that's like how you act with your ego how you um kind of control the way you talk to people like the way you present yourself that's all that's all like positive ways you can use your ego you know what i mean Grapplers and fans of grappling, U.S. Grappling is back. February 3rd in Frederick, Maryland, and March 3rd in Raleigh, North Carolina. Registration is open for both of those tournaments. If you want to go out and experience the best tournament experience that you could possibly have, you can register online at usgrappling.com. Be sure and tell them we sent you. Yeah, me and Tony Casares talked about this with uh, with Lucas Lepri one time, where everybody has an ego, and like, although you know, it's sort of like we say things that are aspirational, even though they're not always achievable. Like people are like, "Oh, kill your ego! You got to leave your ego at the door," and like, I don't think that's necessarily possible for you know, especially yeah. for competitive people. And even if it is possible, it's like there are good things about ego too. When you get smushed and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna get that guy next time," and that in- inspires you to work harder, to train harder, to learn more. Or if you get beat by one of these kids who's playing the spider lapel guard, and you're like, "Man, how did it, how did that happen?" And that inspires you to learn more things. I mean, I think that can be a positive aspect to ego. Absolutely, but your ego can be so big that you don't ask that purple belt to help you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I think sometimes people get caught with something, but, like, they don't want to ask what they get caught with. But, like, the, everybody at top helps each other. Like, some people like to play the lapel. Some people like to play close guard. Some people like to do barambolas. Like, it's a very wide array. Like, there's really heavy sports you get to, guys. And there's guys that just come in. They don't train for the IBJJF, but they're still really good, and they train, like, their competition is almost there every day. It's not that they want to be you as as bad as, like, maybe you want that gold medal. But, like, they're training like they're competing every day, so they feel when you roll. So basically 100%, like that old Leandro Lowe video where he's like, oh, there's no easy rolls in here. Like, yeah, the, it's even some of the white belts at top are really tough to roll with because they go 100%. Like, they're not afraid to, like, let loose. I mean, some of them, it's a little dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. So maybe the, the, they don't get put with the blue belt or maybe some of the other white belts. But that man, that's only going to, like, make that white belt so much better because he gets to train with the upper belts all the time because he puts in that extra effort. So every everybody at Top Martial Arts is a valuable training tool for me. And they're all really open with their jiu-jitsu. Nobody's like... I want to try to beat this guy this day or try to beat this guy this day. 
we all just try to beat this. We all just try to beat up Shema. Shema's uh, one of the killer purple belts. He's just like young, athletic. He's got really good technique. You show him something once, and uh, he gets it. And uh, yeah, he's basically the only one we try to gang up on and beat up. But that's about it. Have you gotten the chance to train with Roberto Travin yet? Um, I did. So uh, I went down to Travin four times, I believe, um, for this um, IBJJF Atlanta. They do a Sunday class specifically for the Open. And we drove to, I think there was four of them. We made three of them. And then the one time we couldn't make the team training, we drove down on Thursday and trained with him um, for one class. And then we trained with him for the competition class. And I got to train with Travin and uh, Bruno Frazado in the same day. So that was pretty rad. Wow. Bruno Frazado is another sort of all-time great. Man, he is insane. Because he is not as big as some of the, like, really, 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 really high-level guys that I've got to train with. And he feels just, like, he feels just as powerful. Like, it's so amazing how strong technique can be. You know what I mean? You look at Bruno, he's not, like, he's a he's a good-looking guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's got, mu- like, he's definitely got muscle, but, like, He's not like he doesn't look like Andre Gaval, you know what I mean? It's not like muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. He just looks like a fit guy. And then when he grabs you, he feel, he kind of feels like Andre Gaval. It's crazy. Yeah, technique. Not that I know what Andre Gaval feels like, but maybe Bouchesha. We'll put Bouchesha. We'll give him an even bigger guy. <laughs> that makes sense. You know what am I? And, and Bruno Rosado, like, did you did you get to pick his brain for tips on techniques or anything? Because his DVDs are um, some of the best I've seen. Man, we positionally sparred from 50-50 for half of the class, and then I got to roll with him for maybe six to eight minutes afterwards. And I, def- he de- I definitely was like, hey, should I do this or this? And, man, he was, like, su- super complimentary. Like, he was really – he's a really, really nice guy. Like, super, super nice guy. If you, if you ask Bruno to show you something, man, I bet you he would, show, he would sit there and – until you got it. It's always nice when you meet folks that are world class competitors who are also nice folks as well. And I'm glad you've had a good Man, he's super nice. Mm-hmm. Super, super nice. Like when I saw him in Atlanta, he was, like I had only turned him one time. He like asked me how it was, how I did, told me good job, man. Like it's really cool to see such high level guys that act so nice when we know other high level guys don't act so nice. So <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So I'm glad your experience at, at Top Martial Arts has been has been good so far. What are your plans for future training? So um, I'm just gonna keep going, to keep uh, training here at Top. Um, the goal this year is to see how many gold medals I can get in the Master One division, and then we'll talk about maybe doing Absolute next year, or excuse me, the uh, Adult next year. But if I maybe I don't get the results that I want, maybe I spend another year. A master one, but the goal for me is just to kind of figure out the IBJJF game a little bit. Um, I'm currently looking for sponsors uh, to go to Pan Ams, uh, which would be my first time to compete at Pan Ams. And then the goal is to do Master Worlds. So just pajama wrestling, a lot of pajama wrestling. 
So does that mean you're focusing on the gi this year with uh, no gi taking a back seat, or are you just going to do whatever comes um, up? No gi is kind of always taking a back seat because here, here's the way I look at it. If you want to be an IBJJF competitor and you spend a lot of time on full locks, you spend a lot of time on full locks, I feel like the IBJJF is going to spend a lot of time finding ways to make that technique you just did illegal. Like John Shell, I believe, got tapped out, or excuse me, he got DQ'd uh, for an illegal knee bar. And the rules are a little wonky. So you never, like, to me, like, you go for a full lock, you never 100% know if that full lock is going to be legal. Like, let's look at even maybe a, a weirder case, what happened to the Eagles, right, where he capsized a guy, clean capsized, then they found a way to DQ him. So I just feel like Ivy Jeff really does not like leg locks. So to me, that's not the most focus on my game. Basically, I've tried to do as good of a job as I can defending what would be an IBJJF legal technique, right? Like, if you really want to beat me up, like, if you're really good at heel hooks, come in, like, heel hook me a bunch of times. Like, I'm not that good at heel hook defense because I don't spend that much time on heel hook defense because they don't allow heel hooks in the IBJJF. So to me, to spend a whole bunch of time doing no gi, maybe doing a bunch of techniques that I could potentially get myself TQ'd for isn't the best use of my time now. If you like watching amazing jiu-jitsu matches and supporting people in your community, you need to go to Toro Cup 9 on April 14th at the Cageside Warehouse, 124 Ladder Road in Durham, North Carolina. You need to go out there because it's going to support Hubao Karaoke's medical fund. The local black belt had a stroke this year and we're raising money to help support his recovery. Additionally, it's James Boomer Hogaboom's birthday that day. And if you know Boomer, the owner of Cageside MMA and one of the brains behind Toro BJJ, does a lot to support the local scene. So get out here and have Boomer have a good birthday as well. That's Toro Cup 9, April 14th at the Cageside Warehouse, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. And if you want to match on the card, contact John Bagels Telford. That makes perfect sense to me, especially if your goal is to win IBJJF Worlds. And so it sounds like uh, an IBJJF gold medal at the Worlds would mean more to you even than something like ADCC trials or things like that that are p comparable no-gi honors. Yeah, I, I do like the ADCC format. Like I do think that the ADCC is, is, is a good tournament, but I think that winning Black Belt Worlds like winning that Gi World Championship is still more prestigious than winning an ADCC title. I think more people care about that World Championship. Like when you own a Jiu-Jitsu school, they're like they want to know if you're a World Champion. And if I want to own a Jiu-Jitsu school one day, then I need to make sure that uh, I can do everything in my power to make my Jiu-Jitsu students, my future Jiu-Jitsu students, my current Jiu-Jitsu students, right? Because I do teach some classes. Right. My goal is to give them the best jujitsu jiu that I possibly can. Not the best wrestling, not the best sambo, not the best catch wrestling. Those are all really, really, really good, 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 good forms of grappling. Right. And when we do no gi tournaments, like we definitely add more aspects of other arts than we do to just jujitsu. And I don't know. I just really like the pajamas, like strangling somebody with their own clothes. To me, it's more exciting it's more of a puzzle than training no gears but maybe if i was like hanging out with more no gi people on a regular basis i would switch my tune but 
I, I, I like the I like the pajama wrestling. So you mentioned something about you know something that, that I'm curious about. You know, you teach some classes. You've always taught. You teach seminars and such. But it really is. It's difficult for someone that is singularly focused on their competition career to devote themselves fully to teaching. At least that's my experience. You know, and how do you balance that? I think it's I think it's next to impossible. I don't think there's any current world champion that runs a program and is the best person at his school. Yeah, I mean, and maybe Lucas, right? But like Lucas, Lucas isn't just there by himself. You know, what I mean, he's got some really, really, really talented people, and then he's got really talented people around him. You know, what I mean, like if you get a chance to roll with Hoffa at all, man, he's going to help you out. Right, and I'm sure him and Lucas exchange techniques all of the time. So Lucas is in a good spot for himself. Plus, he was a world champion before he started his school. You know what I mean? But I mean, I think that could be why the Mendes brothers retired because they saw how difficult it was. I mean, Lucas is still killing it. But like I said, I think that uh, I think that uh, Lucas is an anomaly for sure. Yeah, no, Lucas is one of the most well-rounded guys ever and, and a guy that somehow gets forgotten in the in the best-of-all-time conversations. But you're absolutely right, too, about the Mendez brothers. That's what Guy said about, you know, hey, we're running the school now. It's a lot. And Bernardo Faria, you know, he's you know he's not 100 He didn't say he's 100% retired when he came on the show. But he opened a school in Boston and is like, you know, I'm just taking some time off from competing because it's a lot to run a business, to teach a program, to to focus on more on the improvement of others rather than the improvement of yourself when you're trying to keep pace with all these these young uh, murderers. Yeah, I feel like a, as a competitor, you need to be really selfish. And I'm lucky. I'm I'm really lucky because I have two people in my life every day that are competitors, and they want to be selfish as well. So our selfishness like kind of works. To, works as a benefit for the three of us. You know, what I mean, maybe one person's feeling a little bit lazy that day. But like, I want to train, so I don't care if you're being lazy. We're gonna go train. You know what I mean? And I don't think that everybody always has that. I think that's why some of the brothers, like, like some of these, like some of the brothers are like the best. Like Mickey Musumeci and Tammy Musumeci, right? Mm-hmm. Like incredible, incredible. I bet you that if. Mickey doesn't want to train. Tammy, like, kicks him in the butt. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? You're one of my best training partners. Let's go. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all about who you support yourself with. But if you are, like, maybe starting an academy where there's not that many people, like, or it's a small group, like, I assume Lucas had a a pretty decent following before he started (laughs) that school you know what i mean the mendez brothers won enough world championships that somebody bought them a school you know what i mean that's kind of my goal like i'm gonna be so good at jiu-jitsu that somebody's just gonna like want me to run a school and it's gonna feel right for me and it's gonna be the right time because you have to be selfish if you want to be really really good at something i think anything like if you want to be a really good painter you have to paint all the time and if you're painting all the time you can't really do anything else so like that's being selfish with your time, and that might be being selfish with your relationships, right? It's hard to have relationships when you're doing shoots you full time. 
It's true, and it's why I think a lot of times people that are really dedicated to training date people who are also really dedicated to training, not even because, you know, uh, not even because of a, a cult-like mentality or that you can only understand someone else who trains, but just by virtue of time, right? If you spend all your time on the mats, how are you going to meet people? You know, if you yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. And you don't like as a guy, you never want to be creeping on girls without you train with. So for me, it's like. Like before I met Kaylin, like I, it was this it, being in a relationship was such a uh, like since the last thing on my mind. I think that's why it actually happened. You know what I mean? I was so close. Like I went to Brazil for six months. You know what I mean? And all I did was train. Like literally, all I did was train. So, you know what I mean? Like I could have potentially maybe found myself a cute little Brazilian girl. Like, maybe learn Portuguese a little bit better, spend a little bit more time with her. But, like, inevitably, I would have gotten worse at jiu-jitsu. And in my relationship now, I get better at jiu-jitsu every day. Like, I tried maybe three over-unders, and I was physically getting my over-under at the time, uh, as the time went. So, before I met Kaylin, I never over-undered. So... There's a lot of ben- there's a lot a lot of benefit for me having a girlfriend that does jujitsu, especially a girlfriend that's around my size, um, because she is a middleweight and I am a featherweight, so that's like right around the same weight class. I think she's 152 in the gi, where I'm 154 in the gi. So maybe if she was smaller, I wouldn't be able to train with her as hard. Because Kaylin and I train really really hard. I think some people look at us like we're fighting, but we're just training really hard. Yeah, that makes sense. But then I get the, I get the same thing with Josh too. You know what I mean? So I get double. Like there's two. Bam! Like if Kalen's sick or Kalen can't train, I got Josh. And vice versa. It's really crazy how like uh, just having one person can benefit jujitsu, but for me, like I have two, so I'm getting double as good. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And so I want to I want to segue from talking about like so you know. We talk a lot about jujitsu because that's all we think about here uh, on this program. But one thing I, I've always wanted to ask you: so anybody who knows you knows that you have a lot of tattoos, and <laughs> and so I'm curious if if one of those has more particular meaning than the others. Is there a special one that you've gotten? Maybe one that relates to jujitsu? I don't even know if you have any jujitsu tattoos. Um, actually, when I was a blue belt, I got the words Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, tattooed across my collarbones. Mind you, I said yes. I was a blue belt. It was when I was like struggling to like realize if I was going to do jiu-jitsu full time, like, or if I was going to do jiu-jitsu at all. So I was like, man, if I get a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tattoo, it'll force me to do jiu-jitsu. Like, I because I'll have to look in the mirror and it'll say Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And um, yeah, that was my first. That was my first jiu-jitsu tattoo. And uh, my torso now is, like, kind of an homage to jiu-jitsu. Um, I'm not, like, super religious, but I do, like, uh, I do kind of have Buddhist tendencies. And my torso piece is a uh, the Buddhist Wheel of Life. And I replaced the entire Wheel of Life with uh, my instructor's first symbol, which is the Triforce. And then I put the all-seeing eye inside of it, because when I open up my own academy, It'll be my instructor symbol, uh, the Triforce with the all-seeing eye. So I kind of have jujitsu with me every day, you know what I mean? But, like, my life revolves around jujitsu, so the wheel of life to me is jujitsu. 
So that would probably be my most uh, like homage to jiu-jitsu. That's intense, man. That's yeah, favorite. Go ahead. Maybe my favorite tattoo is uh, I actually have a arrow, like a arrow tattooed through my Achilles heel, like uh, the old, um, well, Greek mythology story, right? I don't want to. There's so many. Kalen's gonna kill me for my English. But uh, basically, like I just have the the arrow tattooed through my Achilles to kind of like remind me that like we're all human. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, even Achilles, the strongest guy in the world, like, was killed by something so stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense, man. And it's really cool to get to hear some of the stories behind some of these tattoos. And, like, I did not, and I did realize that your your the words Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu were on your collarbone. I did not realize you had gotten that as a blue belt as a motivational strategy. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a weird, funny motivational strategy. But I was really into tattoos, like, when I was a kid. Like, basically, when I was maybe 12 years old, I was doing karate. Um, and I was like, all I really wanted in my life is uh, to get tattoos and to be a black belt. So I think I got a bunch of tattoos before I got my black belt. And I don't think I've gotten any tattoos since I got my black belt. Because you have to take time off to get tattoos. And tattoos cost a lot of money. Right? At least good tattoos cost a lot of money. And uh, to me, it's like, one, I don't have that much money, and one, I don't have, or two, I don't have that much time. So it's like a lose-lose situation for CJ getting tattooed. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about getting my first tattoo for many years, but I always tell myself, and, it, and, and this is true, anybody who knows me knows this, I always say, when I get, my, when I get injured next, I'm going to get my tattoo, because you don't want to take time off, right? If you get tattooed, you have to take time off the mats. Yeah, see, my problem is when I get injured, I eat too much, so I don't have any money. <laughs> well, you got to stop. I mean, don't definitely don't stop the eating too much. But st- uh, we, we got to figure out a solution to you not having not having the money to compete. Especially if you're listening to this and you want to help CJ go to the pans, definitely uh, get in touch with CJ. Um, yeah, see, that's my goal. It's like I I, I just want to compete as much as possible, and like I, I do have people help me out. So I'm I'm not gonna spend that. Like I'm not gonna spend money getting tattooed when I can be spending money like um, like furthering my future in jiu-jitsu so maybe when i calm down a little bit i get more tattoos but the the goal for the goal for me is just like man i won't even like go to the dentist to get my tooth fixed like i'm not gonna get tattooed you know what i mean i just like it's about time management i think and not a lot of people can spend as much time as they possibly have dedicating their life to jiu-jitsu and i can I don't have anything that stops me. I don't have any barriers or any, like, nonsense that I did when I was younger that stops me from maybe or forces me to make more money than I need or do anything that doesn't involve jiu-jitsu. Like, I'm I'm really, 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 really lucky to have Jay and uh, Paul help me out, um, allow me to teach classes to make a little bit of money, support us, help us out, like, going to tournaments. Like, Jay drove us to Atlanta, hooked us up with, a, like, our, his hotel, like, let us stay in his hotel. Like, we're really, 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 really lucky. And uh, for me, to spend any money that, that I get or any money that I earn through jiu-jitsu on not bettering my jiu-jitsu, I feel like it's a waste. 
So you mentioned. But if you want to tattoo for, tattoo me for free, I'm <laughs> down. Let me know. Well, you know, Seth and JoJo actually have a tattoo guy, a tattoo sponsor. It's uh. Uh, yeah, that's maybe that's what I need. Like Junie, I think Junie's got a yeah. tattoo sponsor. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, first class tattoo in New York City. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm really particular. Junie got lucky, man. So, like, I'm I'm afraid that like, some of these people, maybe some of the people that would want to sponsor me, wouldn't be as good as the guy that sponsored Junie. Yeah, that but, dude. There's some really really talented artists that I know. So. Yeah, the dude that sponsors Junie does good work, man. Um, Man, he really does. He really does. I think the name of that school, that tattoo shop is First Class, right? That's the name of it. Yeah. So if you guys are in New York City, hook up uh, my man, Junie's guy, because it does really good work. So, CJ, at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned that this gold medal isn't yours alone, that um, a lot of people helped you. And I was wondering if there were particular people that you wanted to shout out for helping you to get to this, play, this point in your career. Man, there's so many people. The first person I probably think though is Nico Ball. Uh, Nico is the found, founder, um, basically the mother of Ted and A Kids Project. Um, she does uh, an amazing job, even from the states, to make sure that those little kids have geese and power and you know things that we take for granted. Uh, lunches like. Uh, she does an amazing job, uh, like I said. Uh, she cares almost more about those kids, I think, sometimes in her own, than her own jiu-jitsu because I think she spends a lot of time worrying about them, uh, dealing with things for the kids' project, dealing with just all of the nonsense that it uh, takes to like run a nonprofit when she could just be training and not caring about anybody but herself. So uh, the first person I have to think is Nico because without her, I wouldn't have been able to kind of be as tight with day-to-day and uh, get to compete as many times because she, I mean, basically she got me signed up for all eight of the competitions in Brazil. Um, I like to thank uh, Jay and Paul. Like I said, um, they're, they're on my main support while we're here. I mean, obviously Joshua and Kaylin. Um, without them, I just, I don't think I would be as motivated to train because I see them train so hard, and I just want to train harder. And I think it just elevates our level so much because we just look at each other and we want to be better than each other for each other. It's not anything uh, like it's selfish because we want all we all want good jujitsu. But like Josh knows, if he has good jujitsu, then he's going to make my jujitsu better. Same thing with Kaylin. When she gets better at something, she helps me. When I get better at something, I help her. So it's such a it's such an awesome, awesome, awesome like uh, family that I have now. I'm Forte Legato. Uh, they uh, are basically my main sponsor. Uh, he helps me register. Um, he keeps me caffeinated. Uh, and it happens to be one of the best coffees, if not the best coffee I've ever had. And I've had some coffee in some really good places. Um, Dirty White Bell Radio for having me on, uh, for helping me out the times that you have. Um, Jeff was one of my first sponsors ever uh, when I had a match with Gary Tonin. Uh, Jeff helped me out before Dirty White Bell Radio, I think before Cage Side Concussion Cast. Um, so, Jeff, you've been helping me out for a while, man, so I really appreciate you. Um, anybody that I've ever trained with, everybody at Top Martial Arts, Ahmed, Obi, um, all you guys that pushed me, Shema, 
Shamas like a nightmare. Joshua is a nightmare, but man, having people to train with like that. There's another black belt at our academy named Joshua, so don't get confused. Uh, we have Josh and Joshua, Joshua Bacala. He uh, is getting a tough, tough, tough start for our team, though. He keeps pulling like the best guys. Like guys, uh, I think he fought Mateus uh, first in the absolute because his, guy, his first guy in there showed. And then uh, in his weight class, he was supposed to fight Dante Leon, I believe. Wow. And Dante no-showed. And then his second match was against, uh, man, I'm losing his name, but he's also from ourselves. They double are they closed out the absolute division together. Man, his name is, uh, but he keeps just getting all these, uh, like, amazingly tough guys. I think he fought Lucas Barbosa twice already and, like, Without some of these training partners, man, I just would not be uh, progressing the way that I'm progressing. I feel like I'm in a super hyperbolic time chamber. Well, CJ, you're also one of the hardest working guys in jiu-jitsu, and it's been a pleasure to follow your career as you get to this point. And so congratulations. I'm I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying. Some of these guys work harder than me, and I'm just trying to catch up, bro. They're going to put that on my tombstone. He tried. (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, me too, man. <laughs> well, brother, it's great to see you uh, earning your success. Congratulations on your first IBJJF gold medal, and I'm sure not your last. Man, we'll, 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 we'll keep getting better together. That's one of my favorite quotes that uh, a friend of mine, a black belt owner, Roberto Chavin, says, uh, every time he shakes your hand, bumps your fist, says, let's get better together. So let's train. I would love to train with everybody. Um, so come train with us, Top Martial Arts in Pineville, North Carolina. Um, anytime, it doesn't have to be class time. I'm down to roll anytime. So if you're in Charlotte, come train with me. Come train with us, Kaylin, Josh, Jay, Mitch. Mitch is like the secret nobody really knows about. But he's been a black belt for a while. He's a first-degree black belt under Travis. Uh, he teaches the morning classes at uh, Pineville, or at our class at uh, Tops in Pineville. And, man, uh, he's an incredible asset to uh, my learning now. I would like to say that he's kind of my secret coach that I, I haven't talked about too much. I talked about Jay, but I haven't really talked about Mitch. And Mitch is like uh, our secret weapon, I think. Well, we'll, co- we'll have to come out and do a show with those guys sometime. But CJ, thanks again yeah, for calling. Yeah, man, call- that'd be awesome. Thanks again Thank for you, calling. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you. My guest has been C.J. Murdoch, uh, one of the hardest-working local competitors. It's gratifying to see C.J. get his first IBJJF gold medal this weekend in the Masters 1 Black Belt Division at the Atlanta Open. This has been Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. We always want to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt uh, and for a li- as little as a dollar a month to support the show. But if you do one thing to support the show this week, I want you to come out to the Miha Parhavits Seminar at Toro BJJ World Headquarters. That's February 10th at 1 p.m., 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina. Hope to see you all there learning how to break feet. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we will see you all next week.